Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. So, Merry Christmas. God bless us, everyone. I have to tell you, Hang on. I'm, I'm liable to be all over the place this morning. There's so many threads that I'm uh, trying to uh, get my grip around today. But um, even if I wander all over the place, we are going to wind up in, in, at the place in Scripture uh, that hits me the hardest this time of year. Many of you know already what I'm talking about for years. It's, it's a passage that for years I could not read without crying. I think the last few times I've read it, I've done okay. We'll see how it goes today. And I also, it's my, it's what I want to do is keep it shorter today because we went so long last week, uh, but we don't always get what we want. Uh, I wanted to tell you, in fact, a little bit about last week. Uh, I, uh, I've shared with you, not that it matters to many of you, my technique in sermon preparation usually is just a week of reading and thinking, meditating, praying, until I finally uh, put pen to paper in the form of an outline, which might not get written out as a sermon until Sunday morning. Uh, I like to have it done early, but uh, as Matt will tell you, that very rarely happens. Mike, uh, Matt likes to have the whole thing on a plate by Friday so that he can get all the graphics and everything ready. But last week I had uh, what, what uh, I was very comfortable with a very solid outline uh, fairly early on Saturday. And uh, had the thing, all I had to do was fill in the gaps that I, I know from experience that uh, what I had left to do would take me about an hour uh, to uh, knock out on uh, either later Saturday night or Sunday morning. And as it turned out, I got up uh, uh, around five on Sunday, ready to write. And I was just kind of uneasy. I'm out there pouring my coffee. And something about the outline was uh, just, I don't know, something was stirring. I didn't know, it was nothing I could put my finger on. But I prayed, and I prayed fervently. Uh, that God would superintend the, the writing of this thing. I said, Lord, I'll, I'll make sure this is your sermon. I want, I want to be speaking what you put in me. And uh, I went out and started typing. And uh, usually once I get going, it, it just, it, it's the Holy Spirit. This isn't a talk. Uh, it's not an innate talent at all. It's just a gift that I have learned to tap into. And once I am writing, it just, I don't stop until it's done. But the sermon that came flying, out, flying through me and out of my fingertips was a, almost, a, almost a completely different sermon than the one I had outlined. Uh, there was still the same theme, so it worked with the title and everything, but I was kind of surprised at some of the things that were there. Uh, but I wound up preaching a sermon last Sunday that I did not plan to preach, uh, at least in that way. And I heard from a, a handful of people who were particularly moved by it, so I do believe I heard from the Lord. Anyway... Today, I return to the theme of the birth of Christ. Tis the season, right? And I want to start by again encouraging you not to let the events of the day and the season that we are living in rob you of the joy of celebrating, the, uh, celebrating his birth. And there are a number of ways we do that. There are family traditions. Uh, and of course, I encourage you to keep Christ at the center of those. But also, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, some Christmas movies. I'm not there's, there's this very highbrow intellectual genre of movie that I'm not crazy about called Hallmark movies. 
Uh, we've talked about those. That's been the joke in our house for a long time. I will usually watch a couple of them with my wife, but our DVR is about 90% those right now. And uh, have you ever noticed, by the way, in those movies, that they are predictable? <laughs> that's, our, that's the running joke, and I'm, I'm sure I've shared it with you, and I'm sure you've got the, many of you have thought or done the same thing. Five minutes into a Hallmark, Hallmark movie, I will say to Beth, you know what I bet's going to happen? Shut up! I don't care. I just like to see it. So, that guy and that girl, right? But I am a, I'm a big fan, as most of you know, of It's a Wonderful Life. Anybody else? George Bailey? Uh, but lately, what I've been doing is trying to see as many different versions of A Christmas Carol uh, as I possibly can. There are a lot, a lot of adaptations, and everybody's got their favorite. Um, but of the, of the classic interpretations, and I appreciate some of the more modern interpretations too, uh, but there are three that I always like to get some people's uh, take on. So, quick poll here. How many of you, your favorite version is the 1938 version with Reginald Owen? Anybody? Yep, yep. Uh, a, a number of you. Uh, 1951 with Alistair Sim. Wow, not as many as I thought. 1984 with George C. Scott. That's the correct answer, by the way. <laughs> Mr. Magoo. <laughs> Bill Murray. All right. Jim Carrey. Uh, what's his name? Patrick Stewart. What other versions have there been? Mickey Mouse. <laughs> There's uh, a lot of different versions. I, I'm really torn between those three, though. The 38, 51, and 84 version, but I, at the end, I always settle on George C. Scott. He's probably my favorite Scrooge. Anyway, depending on what kind of mood I'm in or who I'm with or whatever, I confess that I will often cry as well when uh, Scrooge wakes up Christmas morning and starts experiencing his redemption. And I love how the way that uh, his redemption manifests itself in a spirit of extreme generosity. And uh, I was thinking about this uh, the other night. We, uh, I'm going to share a couple things that happened on Wednesday night, the youth group Christmas party. And I will get to the scripture. Believe me, this, uh, this, I've got to share several things first. And then we're going to read a passage of scripture and make some comments on it. But we were at the Christmas party the other night, and I was having, uh, I was, I attended, and I was sitting there across from my daughter, and a couple other people sitting next to us, well, Riley and, and Dylan, I think, right? Uh, and Rainey started talking to me about getting a job. We've been having a little back and forth with, with Rainey about some things lately, and wanting to, wanting to see her prioritize some other things. And I got her permission to talk about this this morning, all right? I would have probably talked about it anyway, but I did get her permission. Uh, I had to beg for it and pay her for it, but I did get it. And uh, she wants a job. And, she, and, and, you know, she had a job before, and we had some issues, and so we decided it would be better for her to, to lay that aside for a while. But she was telling, telling me again, just kind of, out, I want to get a job. I want to get a job. I want to make money. I said, Rainey, that's not something I'm opposed to you doing. I just think there's other things you need to prioritize right now. And, and she says, but, Dad, I want to get a job because I want to be the person that when there's, 
if you're with people and somebody says, I can't do that with you, or I can't afford a cup of coffee, or I can't afford this, I want to be able to be the one that says, that's okay, I'll pay for it. And my response was, 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 was terrible, really, because it was coming from a place of having had this discussion 50 times in the last, you know, 50 days, and not wanting to talk about it right then. So my response was, Rainy, everybody wants to be that person, because that means you're the rich person. Everybody wants to have enough money just to buy everybody everything. That's not, that's, there's nothing novel about that desire. But you know what? I'm wrong about that. <laughs> because the world's full of Scrooges. There are people who want money so they can just have the money, and the last thing they want to do is share it. So, Rainy, since I know people overheard me saying that to you, I also publicly apologize to you and want to recognize your spirit of generosity. That's a good reason to want a job. It's a good reason to want money so that you can share it with others. And I know she's not the only one that feels that way. But it's just such a beautiful thing to see. I know it's a story, but to see this super rich guy who's been super cheap and super cruel uh, in a, such a position to do so much good and determined to do so little good, suddenly uh, having his eyes opened and the way he doesn't go around apologizing, he goes around giving. What's the very first thing he does? Throws the window open. You, boy, go buy the biggest goose or the biggest turkey, depending on which version you're watching or reading, and uh, go take it to this poor family that, that, that works for me. Uh, but there's another thing that grabbed me as I was watching, uh, I believe, the Reginald Owens version the other day. Uh, Bob Cratchit is actually fired on Christmas Eve because he hits Scrooge with a snowball. That doesn't happen in every version, and honestly, I've never read the book, so I don't know how it plays out in the book. But he realizes that the wages he just received will be the last he gets until he finds other employment, and of course, it's not easy to come by. But what does he do? On the way home, he buys everything. He spends, I think, everything that Scrooge had given him for his last week of employment to buy everything he could possibly buy to truly keep Christmas to celebrate. Now, I know it's not always a wise course of action. You know, don't go spending money that, uh, and you, there's, you know, Dave Ramsey would say, no, that's not, not a good approach. What I like about that is, it, what it illustrates for our purposes is, there are things going on, there are circumstances crowding out our joy, crowding out our, our uh, uh, desire to celebrate. Lay those circumstances aside and remember the birth of Christ and celebrate. All right, this is, the, this is what we are focusing on now. And that really has more to do with what we talked about last week than today. I just had watched that, that movie a couple times, and it just kind of hit me that way. Because, uh, again, he's worthy. This is an event worthy of, of our attention and our celebration to the point of setting everything else aside. I'm going to share one more experience with you before I move to the actual sermon, and this will take a little bit longer, but I'll try to race through it. This was also Wednesday night. <laughs> I don't know, maybe we'll dig up the security tape and see if we can find uh, video evidence of this, but Wednesday night at the youth group party, I was playing a game that I had no business playing, uh, but I'll blame Rainy for that too. She didn't want to play, so I took her place, and it was a gift-wrapping relay. You, grab, you, you wrap a gift, uh, and then it has to be judged worthy by Abigail, and then you race down, and you put it under the tree, and you race back, and then the next person wraps a gift. Well, I went last, and the tape was all messed up because... Who was it that, that, that was right before me and they didn't leave the thing out? So I'm spending all my time trying to pick the tape loose. 
and uh, Roger Beals finally comes over and starts cutting me pieces, and this thing's just a mess, and Abigail finally says, just go, it's fine. So I run down there, and I throw my gift under the tree, and I think, yay, we're done. And I turn around, they're all like, you've got to run back, you've got to run back. So I go charging toward uh, the table to, to just hit it or hit, the, hit my team or whatever, but I'm looking next to me to see if, how far I am from Aiden. Is Aiden beating me in this race? And when I turned back around, Abigail, with her back turned to me, had stepped right in front of me. And I weigh over 200 pounds. I'm not going to say how much over, but it's hard to get that stopped. It's like a train, you know? And I couldn't stop. And I tackled Abigail. I mean, I creamed her. I've tripped. I tried to stop, and, and uh, I think that's maybe when I hurt myself, or, or maybe I hurt myself when I hit. But I really was trying to not land on her with all my weight, so I fell in a very clumsy manner and probably landed on her with all my weight anyway. You still okay? Okay. It was embarrassing, and it was, oh, it was just a wreck, and people were laughing, but not me. And anyway, I got up, and I checked myself out, and I'm like, okay. Felt a little bit of a ding in my knee, but everything else seemed okay. And then about a half hour later, I realized I've really dinged my knee. It, I, it felt tight. It was starting to get painful, but, the thing, but I could stand on it. It was weight-bearing. Uh, so I wasn't too worried until I went like this. That was about as high as I could lift my foot. If I tried to lift it off the ground, it was excruciating pain. And it was growing by the minute. Like, this is really starting to mess things up. So I'm standing in the, in the, the snack bar. And uh, Kip is standing next to me. Roger is standing next to him. Riley's sitting down uh, to my right. And I just was sharing with him. I said, guys, I said, uh, man, I think I, I, think I really kind of hurt my knee when I fell back there. Uh, and uh, Kip says, well, what, what's going on? I, so I explained to him what I just explained to you. There's this, 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 it's fine until I try to move it. And before I could even say anything else, Kip just put his hand on my shoulder and began to speak the word of God and thank him for my healing. Roger joined in immediately. And so I've got these two guys praying for me. I look down, Riley's there praying with his hand out, which blessed me for a very specific reason. And uh, anyway, he just prayed a very simple very powerful, very scriptural prayer for healing. And in the middle of it, before he said amen, I just felt the pain disappear. Gone. And they'll, they'll testify to this. I'm like, look at this. Wow. Wow. Look at this. And they're like, woohoo, dance, run. You know, I'm like, man, this is awesome. It's like, I don't know how bad it would have gotten if we hadn't prayed right then. But it's an exciting thing to experience an instantaneous manifestation of healing. It wasn't like, hey, I think this might hurt tomorrow if we don't pray. It hurt. It was, it, it was the, mo the, the mobility was a huge issue, and then it was gone. Praise God. And so, anyway, stick around, clean up. Maybe I don't know what it was. 45 minutes, an hour later, I'm leaving, and I'm walking out to the car, and I get, I put my right foot into my car, and I sit down, and I couldn't pull my left leg into the car. And the more I, if I tried, it really hurt. So I'm like, oh, wow. So I pull it in there I drive home pull my leg out of the car get it under me I get out I get into the house and Beth's like what did you do so I'm explaining to her what happened I said I really hurt my knee I said but here's what happened and I told her about the prayer and immediately now here's here's the thing I've shared this with you before what I love about being married to, to Beth is that part of me would like, honey, sit down. Before we do anything else, I'm going to prop your leg up under a pillow. I'm going to get you some ice, and I'm going to make you some hot chocolate, and uh, we're going to make you feel better. 
No, what does she say? As soon as I'm telling her the story, she says, Scott, then there's no reason for you to expect that knee to continue hurting. You know God healed you when those guys prayed for you. Now, I don't know why the pain is back, but you know that's not God. He didn't take that pain away in a miraculous fashion just to give you the pain back, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. She says, so? Just speak to it. So I start walking around the couch. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for healing me. Walking wasn't a problem. It's just that I couldn't straighten my leg out the way, all the way, so I'm walking like this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for healing me. Thank you that this pain is going to go away. Uh, strength and flexibility are restored to my leg. Walked around, and Beth is over there praying in the Spirit the whole time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, and then I uh, tried to position myself on the couch, and this is where just an element of fear comes in. Because the last thing I wanted to think about and hadn't been thinking about really up till that moment was going to the emergency room or having surgery or something. But I realized that every time I turned my foot, I mean just slightly, it was a knife-like pain going straight through both sides of my knee. Uh, and the only thing I had in my experience to compare it to was, was way back when when I'd had those back episodes when I would have these panicky moments where there was nothing I could do to get it comfortable. I finally get it in a spot where it's propped up, it's immobile, the pain is a, a one on a scale of 10. But then again, it would be comfortable enough that I would forget and I'd move my foot and then, ah! And then she'll tell you, it, it wasn't just a, it was like, <laughs> I'm just like, what, what am I doing? How do I, how do I, how do I get it straightened back out? And it was a little bit of a miserable night. Woke up the next morning and was able to get my leg off the couch couldn't straighten it out. So now it's a little bit more bent and I'm walking like this. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for healing me. I go out to the kitchen to get some coffee, only you got to go up three stairs to get into the part of our house with the kitchen. Nope, I guess I'm not having coffee. I'm going to walk in. <laughs> and then I figured that I could get up there after I'd been up for a little while. I could climb the stairs if I went like this. And so I did. And then Beth gets up. She's like, How you, how's your knee? What's my answer? See, I'm healed in Jesus' name. That's how my knee is. She goes, good. Still speaking to it? Yep, I'm still speaking to it. All right. I'm agreeing with you. But it felt, again, as long as I'm standing up straight, it felt fine. If I tried to move it, whoo, tender. But it also felt like a bowling ball. Looking at it, there was no swelling. I could tell something's really wrong. I'm like, no. I'm remembering that moment. I have no doubt in my mind. Something happened. There was a miraculous manifestation of healing in my body last night. Now, even if there hadn't been, God's word and promise about healing are still mine, right? But there had been. And it was just like an anchor that God threw me. Uh, or uh, <laughs> through here, catch this anchor. No, it was an anchor that God provided for me to hold on to while circumstances are trying to pull me away from the word. So I continue to walk around the house. And half an hour later, I come strutting into the living room with a cup of coffee. Look at me, I'm saying. Look at me walking around the house, climbing stairs like a natural man. And she's like, woo, my husband's healed. You know, we're just celebrating. And it was like, got around, came in, uh, didn't have to take a sick day or anything. And every day, it's just, I mean, by the end of the very next day, it was 10 times better than it had been the day before. And the next day, it was 10 times better than that. Now, it is not 100%, but I have to work to make it hurt now. Praise God, his healing power is working in my body. But that's not the real reason I wanted to share that with you. 
uh, it got me to thinking again. And this is something else that I experienced, and I've shared this several times with you. And this was especially acute during my first episode with sciatica. I remember being in such racking pain, pain that I just never realized existed before. And seeing how limited I was because of that pain. And so, yeah, it got me confessing my healing and determined to grasp it. But the other thing that it did was expand my compassion for others. I've told you that when I was racked with that kind of pain, I couldn't read about somebody being in an accident, breaking a leg, whatever, without crying and truly praying passionately for them and people that I knew. And I got to thinking this time, because here I am with my leg up on this pillow. I can't, can't move around, can't, uh, can't enjoy anything for, for right now other than lying on the couch. And it got me thinking about people who've had longer, protracted struggles. Got to thinking about our good friend Mike Rolfs, my good friend Mike Rolfs, your brother Mike Rolfs, uh, who's, uh, he, he's only able to be here a handful of times just because of the difficulty with his uh, cerebral palsy. It's very, very difficult for him to get ready to go anywhere. And he's dealing with so many other issues that make it such a touch-and-go prospect to be gone from the house for a couple hours. So I love it when he can make it but I realize how long he has struggled with his condition. And I think about Jenny, still, still believing God for a complete manifestation of her healing, but still in that wheelchair. I know that's not God's will for her. And I think about my dad. And that's who I was really thinking about because... Uh, and listen, many of you ask about him from time to time, and I have not done a great job of giving you detailed updates. Not, and it's not because we're trying to hide anything. Dad is not, don't tell anybody this, don't tell anybody. He just, you know, he also doesn't want it to always be about him. But I do want to make you aware of some things. Uh, he, has, he has been essentially bedfast for two years. Now, for some of that time, he was able to stand up a few times a day, uh, maybe take a step or two, but for the last year, that hasn't really been the case. He's stuck because this cancer has eaten into his bones in such a way that it makes it difficult to move him. And some of the specific things he is dealing with now are tumors that are growing, have grown in his uh, joints, his knees and his ankles particularly. I can't even imagine the pain that causes in the natural. He resisted taking anything stronger than a prescription pain pill, uh, and that only at bedtime. Lately, he's been on some stronger pain medication just to, just to relieve him enough to get some rest. Uh, the nurse, uh, or the, the, yeah, the hospice worker that comes in and checks on him said she had never seen anybody have to endure what he's endured. I know this is not God's will for him. And on the plus side, then those of you who visited him or probably even spoken with him on the phone, you can attest to this. His attitude has been extraordinary. I ne I've seen him tired and I've seen him weak, but I've never seen him angry. I've never seen him pitying himself. He gets emotional, but he gets emotional out of a sense of love for his family and everything else. He's, he's been... Beyond, I almost said being a trooper, but that's way too mild. He's been a hero 
And he told me the other day, he says, Scott, I got to tell you, my faith level is as high as I remember it ever being. I'm still believing. I know this is not just a matter of walking out my healing. I need a healing miracle, but God does healing miracles. I think, well, how old is he anyway? Does he really need to be healed? You know what? He has a covenant of healing with God. And if he's not, how long are we supposed to live when you're satisfied? Full of days and satisfied, I believe, is what the Bible says, right? So keep him in your prayers and agree, right? This is what he's believing for. And then, oh, Scott, come on, man. Yeah, you're bringing us down. It's Christmas. I'm not bringing you down. I'm telling you how things are compared to how things are supposed to be. And I'm rejoicing that Dad knows how they're supposed to be. Pastor Larry, I'm talking about. And we're, be- we're believing with him for that miracle, right? Amen. And others in our congregation as well who are still walking some things out. Let's don't forget them. Let's don't forget them. Let's stand in faith with them. And yesterday at men's prayer, Russ reminded us that, again, back in 2011, when they told Dad he had uh, advanced kidney cancer, stage four, and there was really uh, only so much they could do, and it was a year, maybe a year and a half later, he was at a checkup, and the doctor said, didn't expect you to still be around. That was in 2012 or 2013. It's 2020, he's still around. Praise God. Thank God he's been able, and, you know, and he hasn't been bedfast all those years. I want to see him out of that bed. I know he wants out of that bed. I know you want him out of that bed, but I know God wants him out of that bed. Here's the thing. I want to preach a whole sermon about Pastor Larry. But when you pray, remember this. Don't pray, oh, God, we need him out of that bed. Or, God, he's such a good man. He deserves, nobody deserves healing more than him. That's not why God heals, is it? No? Why, what, uh, what, what are our grounds for praying for him? He is a blood-bought child of God who has a covenant of healing. You've promised it. You've already purchased it. It belongs to him. We join our faith with his and your word and speak it over him in Jesus' name. Same with Jenny. Same with Mike Rolfs. Same with Ashley. Same with anybody in this room who has been dealing with something, especially a protracted uh, thing, and we just say, this, we are standing with our family and speak it over yourself. Okay? We'll kind of come back around to that. I want you to remember, and if you don't remember this, go back and read Deuteronomy for a refresher. But all the things that we associate with uh, victorious Christian living, deliverance, protection, healing, abundance, blessings with a capital B, all of these things are clearly revealed as God's will for for Israel. What he promised Israel, if only... They would keep covenant with him. The blessings and the promises are spelled out. They are wonderful. They are abundantly supplied, but they are for the righteous. So what was the problem? The problem is there is none righteous. No, not one. And I love, 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 as you well know if you've been here any length of time, talking about, thinking about the judges and, uh, and the judges especially, but also the kings that God raised up to act in the role of Savior. And when I say Savior, I mean smallest, somebody who comes in and saves the day, re- delivers Israel. Uh, and this would, this would usually uh, happen when enemies threatened, and the enemies usually threatened when Israel had fall, uh, fallen away from God, fallen into idol worship, gotten lazy about sacrifices and uh, 
Passover and everything else. And then God would raise up a deliverer, turn their hearts back to him for a while. They kept covenant for a while. And the problem for centuries was not that God didn't provide enough deliverers. The problem was not for centuries that their enemies were too powerful. It was simply the inability of, of a sinful people to live righteously. The inability of a sinful people to keep the covenant that God made with them. So through those centuries, the one bright and shining hope was that ultimately God would fix this with Messiah. He would send his Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, to Israel to once and for all redeem them. They didn't need another Samson. They didn't need another Gideon. They didn't need another David or a Hezekiah. They didn't even need another Elijah or a Moses. They needed and desired not a Savior, but the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. And imagine living with that promise, the great hope of Israel for all those years, all those decades, all those centuries, all that time, your theology boils down to this. Someday. And it's a real hope, isn't it? Someday. And then we read this in Luke chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is a census. This, uh, this census first took place while Quirinius was, in, was governing in Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord. Somebody else want to come and read this so we can get out of here before noon? <laughs> and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men. That wasn't too bad. What breaks me down every time I read this around Christmas is two things, actually. One is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Not just another Savior. Not a Savior. Not just another Deliverer. Not a Gideon. Not a David. This is the Savior. Today is born unto you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's Christ who is here now. It is Messiah who is here now. The other one is today. 
I bring you good tidings of great joy, for today is born unto you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It's not, and the angel appeared and said, hang in there. He's coming. Don't lose hope. And those would be great things to hear from an angel. I mean, if an angel appeared to you in your room, you've been praying, you've been struggling, you're on your, you've reached the knot at the end of the rope, right? And an angel appears, and you're trembling, you're shaking. This is an open vision, and the angel says, don't give up. Is that going to change your life? It is. It's going to change mine. But how much better when the angel says, the waiting is over. Today is born unto you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Not today is born unto you a deliverer, a leader, a soldier, a, 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 a better king than Herod. No, it's the one you've been waiting for all these years. He's here. Those are the things that have always gripped me about this passage. But what I found myself meditating on over the last week was this. Born to you this day. It might strike you as a subtle thing, but there can be this idea that Jesus was born. He was just born. He was going to do his thing, and people could discover him, and they better get, uh, get, a, get their lives in line with his plan, his program. I'm even having a hard time expressing this. But even with the arrival of Messiah, there could be this distance. It's just sort of a general reality the fact that he is on the earth. Something about this announcement, born to you this day, a savior. You know, you've probably heard an evangelist at some time or a pastor. I've probably said it. My dad's probably said it. You've probably heard it a hundred times if you've been uh, a Christian for, for a while. And it's this, and I believe it, that if you had been the only person on earth or the only person on earth that needed a savior, Jesus would still have died for you. It brings home the personal force of his sacrifice. That he didn't just die. He died for me. Yes, he died for the world, but he knew me when he was on the cross. Same way with his birth. He wasn't just born. He was born for me. You know, we read in the New Testament how the day of Pentecost was a fulfillment of the prophecy that said, in that day I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And I believe he did that. The Holy Spirit was given to the world over 2,000 years ago. But when I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God knew it. It was an experience that I shared with God the Holy Spirit at that moment, moment even though he had been made available for centuries before I was born. The work of healing was done. Those stripes were laid on Jesus' back. Over 2,000 years ago, that's what purchased my healing. That's what secured my healing. What qualified me for that purpose is his blood, his death, his resurrection. So that's all taken care of. There's nothing I have to do to earn those things, right? But God 
still did something Wednesday night when Kip prayed for me. You understand? Again, the prayer wasn't, God, if you would, if you would consider in your, in your great mercy extending your power and possibly healing Scott. We were still claiming something. But it wasn't like just this neutral healing force that we tapped into. It's a promise from God, and God did something in that moment. Faith was applied. Words were spoken in line with God's word. But I don't believe God was not himself present and joyfully touching my knee. He was. Your very salvation was purchased over 2,000 years ago with Jesus' finished work on the cross. In fact, if you want to get technical about it, (laughs) he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But the work of the cross in history, in time and space, was done over 2,000 years ago. But all the angels rejoiced last week when Kim gave her heart to Jesus Christ. You think God didn't notice that? Oh, yeah, I did all that 2,000 years ago. Whoever gets in, gets in. No, a moment happens. There's 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 an interaction that takes place. The angels in heaven rejoicing that she had received that gift. Same thing happened when you got saved. Same, same thing happened when I got saved. When it says to you, there are a couple specific scriptural applications to this. One is to the Jews. Jesus was born a Jew in Judea to the Jews for the Jews. And they said, though, this good news will be for all peoples. Another sense of the to you, who did, who, are the, who did the angels appear to? Shepherds. Anybody have any idea where they ranked on the social ladder? Down here. In a, in a caste society, they would have been the lowest caste. They were, they, were, they were not well regarded. And this is who the angels appeared to. Why? Is it because God loves poor people more than rich people? No. It is, this kind of goes back to something we talked about last week too. In one sense, all of Israel looked forward to the coming of Messiah. Even the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the ruling religious order, they were for the coming of Messiah. They just didn't have that sense of what? That sense of urgency because things were pretty good in their lives. They agreed with the theology that that Messiah was coming. They were in favor of it, but they didn't have that uh, felt need. But the poor people, the disenfranchised, they were more excited about the idea of Messiah because even though their need for a Savior was no greater than the Pharisees' need for a Savior, they felt that need more. And it's the same way with these shepherds. The coming of Christ was indeed good news, glad tidings, great joy for them. This is good news because this, there's nothing about this life that makes me want to live without Messiah one more day. But it will be. 
It shall be. Glad tidings, good news, great joy for all the world, for all who will receive. Not just poor shepherds, not just poor Israel, not just poor Israel, but for everybody who will receive him. Jesus Christ is born, and the world celebrates, but let us celebrate as a church and as individuals that he was born for us. He was born for us you. Stand up with me for just a minute. And yes, praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. When we receive Christ, when we call him Lord, when we are born again, there ought to be something in us that changes. That's another thing I love about uh, Scrooge. He has these powerful experiences and the change that he undergoes is very much personal. It's a transformation. But how do we, the reader or the viewer, see this? It changes everything on the outside as well. It's not just, oh, I'll sleep so much better tonight knowing I'm saved. No, I've got to do something for everybody else because I'm saved. When we looked a week or two ago about the, the early disciples, what's the first thing so many, I mean, right off the bat, This one followed Christ, and he immediately went and told his brother, come, come and see. I've talked to people, and I get so excited about it. There was a great big old guy who was a state cop up in Kankakee that I got to know his family through, through church camp. And uh, he was telling me about his, uh, after I'd known him for a couple of years, see, I was, we were having lunch, and he was giving me his testimony. He was, and he'd come from a rough background. But somebody shared the, shared the gospel with him, uh, and uh, he knew just enough of the gospel to invite Christ into his life. And the very, that very night, he led his brother to the Lord. He could not wait one more day. It was, he was so full of this. And there's, uh, there's something about that that ought to characterize us. Kind of coming back to what, uh, what I was talking about with Rainey. You know, it's, it's, it's like when I realize how blessed I am, the most godly reaction I can have is to be a blessing to other people. If I've experienced God's generosity in my life, I have to be generous. And I want to make a difference like that in other, other people's lives. And I'm not just talking about money. If I have been healed, and I have, one of my, the most passionate things, and the things that I am most passionate about is ministering healing to others. But nothing, nothing, nothing is more important if you understand that you've been saved, there is nothing more important and no greater way to honor God in this season of giving than to share the message of salvation with others that need to hear it. So first, let me ask you this. Have you made Jesus Christ your Lord? I know everybody knows the story, but when Jesus given to us just like anything else you can refuse a gift you can have a bank account with your name on it you can have a house uh, with your name on the title anything a car you can have a gift that's just whatever it is you don't even know what it is it's wrapped but there's a tag on there that says to you you don't have to open it you don't have to live in that house you don't have to drive that car you never have to make a withdrawal from that bank account they're yours 
they're doing you no good unless you receive them. This is kind of the way salvation is. There is nothing that remains for God to do in order for salvation to be available to you. The sacrifice has been made. The price has been paid. But you still have to receive it. You can't undo what God did. And there's nothing you can do to stop him from loving you. But you do have to receive his love to be saved. And when I say receive his love, I mean the highest expression of his love. God the Son, Jesus Christ, who came. That's what we celebrate in this very season. He came to fulfill God's plan. And this is the heartbreaking thing. As beautiful as the Christmas story is, and as lovely as these images are, there's nothing wrong with, with it, uh, recognizing that it's a little bit sobering to realize that this sweet little baby was born to die. That wasn't a failure. That wasn't God's plan going off the rails. That was fulfillment of God's plan. God knew it was coming. Jesus knew it was coming. He knew it before he became a man. He knew what he was stepping into. And he loves you so much that he was willing to do it. He remains willing to come into your life, but he must be invited. Will you bow your knee this morning? Will you bow your heart this morning and say, Pastor Scott, I receive him. I desire to be saved today. I need a Savior. And there is no other Savior but Jesus. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe God raised him from the dead. Come into my life, my heart. I receive your Lordship. Receive me to yourself. Anybody want to just say that simple? Would you just raise your hands? I prayed that just now. I agree with that. That's me. I desire to be saved and I believe I am. Will you just say, yeah, yeah, me. Anybody? Anybody in here? Come on, let's make it two Sundays in a row. All right, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are going to uh, end today's service a little bit differently. Uh, Doug, I'm going to pray here in just a second. And then uh, Doug is going to come up here and share something with you uh, concerning the offering and something else. And then we are going to sing Hark uh, the Herald Angels, the other version. Praise and Worship Band knows that's my favorite song. So Cheryl will ask me, do I care which version we do? And I don't. We did that uh, rockier version, I think, for the first time last year. And I was a little bit, eh, don't mess with it. It's kind of like, oh, don't remake Christmas Carol again. I already have my favorite. Turned out I liked it pretty good. Uh, I didn't cry any less when we sang this version this morning. But kind of like, if you can only sing one, which do you sing? So we're going to sing both of them today. We're going to sing the traditional version here in a minute, I think. Uh, if I can have Doug come up and share something else first. Meanwhile, I want you to pray this with me. I'm going to pray this. I'm going to pray. You don't need to repeat after me. When I say pray with me, I just mean you agree. And there's a salvation prayer in here. I don't want anybody to leave this room, leave this building today without receiving the greatest gift in history. So, God being as extravagantly generous as he is, I don't believe he's going to withhold salvation just because you didn't raise your hand just now. But if you pray this, if you agree with this, and you will acknowledge, that was for me. I really did just become a Christian. I really did just get saved. Please let me know before you leave. Heavenly Father, thank you for this whole season. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for everything it is we celebrate at this time. Thank you for coming, Jesus. 
stepping into this broken world and taking all that brokenness on yourself, in yourself. Taking the sin and taking the death, the sickness, the poverty, taking every manifestation of the curse of the law into your own flesh and leaving it nailed to the cross and for rising again in power and new life that you share with us. Help us to never take that gift of new life and all of your promises. Help us to never take those things for granted, but to live in them and walk in them and fight for them, to speak those things manifestly over ourselves because you paid such a dear price for them. But most of all, Lord God, we just thank you for the forgiveness of sins that you've made available through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you for every saved person in this room, every person who's experienced the new birth. And I pray on behalf of those who are going to experience it now, Father, Lord God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for providing salvation for me. I recognize that you are the only way to God. So Jesus, I confess you as my Lord. I believe God raised you from the dead and I submit my life to your Lordship. I receive your salvation for me this day. I thank you that I'm now your child. You are now my father. These are now my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me know if you prayed that for the first time. You can go ahead and uh, uh, be seated for a moment. And Doug, where are you at? Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.